So one thing I wanted to point out, um, Pastor Bernie and I were kind of talking about this earlier, is that, um, you know, the Q&A really isn't um, just something that we can do to, to mix it up or to have fun. If you look at Jesus's ministry throughout the Gospels and actually even some of the epistles, um, a lot of what you read is a result of questions that the disciples had. They would go to Jesus and they'd ask him a question and usually he answered him in a parable or something like that. But even um, some of the epistles were, were answers to questions or answers to situations that were going on. So um, really that's what we're doing here. And um, these are all of your questions. So some questions aren't necessarily clearly answered in the Bible. You know, it doesn't say if somebody's debating on whether I get the V6 or the V4 because I want to be diligent with my money and I better economies good because then, you know, I'm being a better steward with my money. So should I get the V6 or the V4? But God wants to give me the desires of my heart. So what should I do? <laughs> Not really in, in V6. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like I said, some of these, some of these questions, you know, there are, there are Bible verses um, that you can come to a conclusion with, but if you flip open the Bible to that exact subject, the answer isn't necessarily there word for word. Um, but what I wanted to do, we didn't do this last time, and I wish I would have. Um, as I introduce every one of you guys, will you just share briefly your main um, focus or the main area of church that, that you're um, focused on, just so that they, they kind of know? So this is... This is Pastor Merle. Uh, pastoral care, weddings, funerals, things like that. And Pastor Bernie? Plow camp, um, accounting, financial, uh, oversee Wednesday nights, missions, and uh, various other things as assigned. <laughs> uh, Joshua Vanderklok, my largest responsibility is doing the Spanish ministry here. And I'm Ryan. Um, I'm in the uh, department that we are newly labeling um, Next Steps. So everything from salvation to baptism to small groups and adult education, spiritual formation. So with that, we are going to jump into the questions. And the first question of the night is actually going to go to Pastor Josh. And the first question of the night is, how do you study the Bible beyond just reading it? Okay, so of course I could take the rest of the night talking about that, but briefly, I'll go to the Bible to answer how to study the Bible, and it says, Acts 17, 11, they received the word with all readiness in mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So when they would go to church, when they would hear the gospel being talked about, they would go home and they would look up things about the topic they heard. So the first thing, besides just reading through cover to cover or you know book by book, would be choose a topic and then look for it. And you might remember, oh, I remember something about that. Use a concordance. A lot of your Bibles have one there. Google is like the world's fastest concordance now. You can find things pretty quick. There's a lot of websites that are dedicated to that. Um, so by topic, chain reference. Um, a lot of your Bibles have those little tiny letters and then some other references in the middle and you never use that. But if you're reading along and you want to get in depth, take a look and it'll take you to other references, other scriptures where they talk about the same topic. Um, and I asked Pastor Dwayne, I said, what's one of your favorite study commentaries? He said, I like reading things in other translations. So whether you go out and buy other translations, or there's like the a website biblehub.com, which puts out every verse in, you know, 12 different translations, those are some starting points. Awesome. All right, the second question um, is going to Pastor Merle. 
And the question is, I have been told that doing drugs is a sin. Does the word have a different set of standards for drugs that doctors give to help heal you? That's a really good question. Um, first of all, I would say that most people that do drugs are defensive, and it don't help a whole lot to preach at them or condemn them. Um, they have to be won by love. But the real question is, it's like, uh, what need are they really trying to meet? Or what pain are they really trying to block or medicate? Um, I think we all understand that God does not want us to be dependent or addicted to substances. He really wants us to be free. And often when we take drugs or get involved with substances, we compromise our testimony, we compromise our behavior, and we're likely to make decisions that we wouldn't make if we were uh, completely in our whole mind or, you know, not inebriated or not, you know, compromised. And, you know, there's lots of verses in the Bible, you know, like one is in First Corinthians, we know that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been bought with a price. And we recognize that we're not our own. So we want to honor God in all that we do. And, uh, you know, as far as like prescription drugs, yes, yeah, sometimes there's legitimate times when, you know, prescription drugs by a doctor that you have a need that um, the medication is um, meeting. Um, I don't think we have a problem with that. I think the challenge is, is you know, with other drugs is, are we really committed to his lordship? Are we really looking to him to meet our needs? Or are we trying to meet those needs another way? Just in case someone's question was, you know, is the Bible trying to legalize marijuana or something like that? The Bible is very clear that we need to obey civil authority. So as long as that is the law of the land, then that it should, following the law of the land, should be a Christian's first response. Then if they ever legalized it, then you'd get into the temple of the Holy Ghost and all of those things, and you'd realize it's probably not wise anyway. Yeah, I've also heard one more angle of that too. Um, sometimes after somebody's been prayed um, for healing, their next question is, should I stop taking my medication? Well, first and foremost, we can't answer that because then we're practicing medicine. But I've heard somebody respond this way, and they've said, go ahead and continue to take it because once you're healed, you're going to know your body's going to reject the medicine. So if, if you think that your healing is going to um, not manifest because you continue to take the medication because you, you think maybe you don't have enough faith, then you're saying that that pill is stronger than God's healing power. So that's one, that's one way to look at it. If, if there's ever that battle, sometimes that comes up in, in the um, argument of healing and medication and drugs as well. So the um, next question is going to Pastor Bernie. And the question is, is one sin more serious than another? Again, you have to remember, every one of these questions could be a whole sermon. Um, 1 John 5, 16 is, I believe, where this person is uh, getting their question from. 
And it says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, it, it almost sounds circular in nature, but I'm also going to read Proverbs chapter 6. It says, There's six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. Now, there's a difference between, um, there's a difference between a, a sin like it says in Matthew, if you've hated your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. But the reality is that does not mean if you've hated them that you should go ahead and kill them, okay? That's not what that's saying, okay? Because if someone hates someone in their heart, that's wrong and it's sin, but there's no temporal or civil or criminal consequences to that. Whereas if you act on it, there are some more severe consequences to that action. And the same is true. It says if you've, if you've looked at a woman to lust in your heart, therefore you've committed adultery. Well, I've already blown it. I might as well go ahead and do it. No, don't do it. Because there are many other more serious consequences and the, the consequences are a lot more damaging when you act it out. It says that some sins, most sins are committed outside the body, but sexual sin is actually committed against your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there are varying degrees of sin. The other thing that, that to uh, recognize is there's some sins that are committed out of weakness and some that are committed out of rebellion. And sins that are committed out of rebellion are a lot more serious than those that are committed out of weakness. For instance, if you have a, a, a four-year-old and that person, that, that child, accidentally spills their milk uh, all over you know your clothes um, that's a sin of that's a, that's a transgression but it's a weakness because it's an accident okay whereas if that same four-year-old looks at you and goes hey watch this and pours their milk all over your lap that's a whole nother story isn't it and uh, I said uh, and when my children were were uh, being raised and when they were young, I said, you make a mistake, you, commit a, you, you do something wrong, it's not the end of the world. You lie to me or look at me and just defy me, we're going to have trouble. Okay? And there's, there's, de there's degrees of sin that way. But again, the differentiation that is the biggest one that's clear in Scripture is the one that says most sins are committed outside the body, but sexual sins are committed against the body. Okay, we're going to um, stay with Pastor Bernie on this next question, too. Um, the question is, is going to the casino a sin if I'm being responsible, not addicted, and only playing with small amounts? I've also heard the question asked um, if I just do it for entertainment purposes. Okay, the Bible doesn't specifically condemn going to the casino or betting or going to a lottery. However, it does warn us. It says to stay away from the love of money. It also encourages us to stay away from get-rich-quick schemes. And there's nothing that's more of a get-rich-quick scheme than a casino. 
put down this two bucks and you might win a million or a lottery ticket. You know, um, that's, a get, that's the ultimate get-rich-quick scheme, and the Bible warns very specifically against us, against that. Um, the other gambling most definitely focuses on the love of money, and it undeniably tempts us to get rich quick. As far as going to the casino, I think Romans 14, 15 addresses that, where it says, don't let your liberty cause someone else to stumble. You have a responsibility to maintain your witness and to, ma- to maintain your, um, your lifestyle witness to those that see you and are around you. We have a, a responsibility to let our light so shine before men. And if, um, if someone, you may be strong enough to do it only in small amounts and not be addicted and not lose money, but I tell you, there's a lot of people that aren't strong enough to do that, and if they are led to there by your freedom, then we have a, we have a problem, and we have a potential problem with your leading someone um, into a, a situation where they're going to be damaged. So it's just keep in mind your witness and uh, realize that it's a dangerous, dangerous uh, place to be. Kind of along the same lines, Josh, I'm, I'm going to skip and, and go to you. Um, we're going to jump to a different one out of order. Um, but kind of in the same lines of casino, we, we hear this a lot with um, alcohol um, about drinking. So um, I wanted to just kind of piggyback off of that and go to you, Josh, on this one. Uh, the question is, is Christianity, oh, in Christianity, is it considered bad to drink alcohol? If yes, why? What does the Bible say about this? All right. Answer number one, it is not a sin to drink one swallow of alcohol. There is a singular scripture in Timothy where Paul told Timothy to drink some wine for a stomach ailment that he had. So, It is not a sin to drink alcohol. However, the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. Um, One of those locations um, would be in 1 Corinthians 5.11 where it talks about uh, the gravity of drunkenness. However, is it a sin isn't the only question that I should ask myself before I make a choice about what I do. I should also ask, does it cause others to stumble? stumble? Does it benefit me? Will it benefit others? Romans chapter 14 is a whole section dedicated to that whole concept of what about if I know I should, could do, get away with something without actually being in sin, but it will cause someone else to commit sin if I do it. And they were talking about food sacrifice to idols and, and things like that. And it says here, it says decide in verse uh, or 13 approximately. It says, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 15 says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And in verse 21, it says, it is good not to eat meat, talking about it, sacrifice to idols, or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Another verse says, if you cause your brother to stumble, it's better to put a millstone around your neck and jump into a river. Because God takes our responsibility to not lead others astray very seriously. Um, I think of, of, of alcohol kind of like a dog. If I had a dog and it was friendly and every, the majority of the people who visited my house, that dog just walked up, wagged his tail and said hello. But about every 10th person, he would just bite into their hand and send them to the hospital needing stitches. Would I keep that dog out there greeting all of the people who visited my home? knowing that most of the time he's pretty friendly, but every once in a while, yeah, it kind of ruins their life. I wouldn't. 
And we know that alcohol is the fourth leading preventable cause of, of death. It's part of 31% of all fatal car accidents. And that says nothing about all the marriages it's destroyed, all the families that have been damaged. So when I look at, at verses like Hosea 4.11 that say harlotry, wine, new wine, enslave the heart, I have made the choice not to drink at all, not because I would be in sin if I did, but because I recognize there's not wisdom there. And the value that I would attain by spending more money on alcohol does not counteract that every tenth person or whatever that might be damaged by the witness that they see in me. So is it uh, a sin? No. Is it wise? I don't think so. Cool. Sorry to throw you guys off. We'll get back in order here. So... All right, the next one, we're going to stay with Josh. And the question is, are people born gay? All right. So when, when someone asks the question, are people born gay, what they're really asking is, are they born unavoidably forced into this sin? That's really the, the underlying question. And there's... There, there's People who are promoting that lifestyle are trying to tie this in with something that people had no choice whatsoever involved in. And they say, well, you, you were born with blue eyes and dark skin and you were born with, you know, and, and so, and these people were born with that. Were people born unavoidably forced into that sin? The answer to that question is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. Isaiah 53 says that we like a sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, all of us have sin. And, and if I was to ask you, are people born an alcoholic? Would you say... You'd, you'd understand the answer. If I said, are you born a murderer? You'd say, no, it's part of a choice I made. We have studies that say, you know what? You, you are more, some people, because of the surroundings, because of certain circumstances, they are more statistically likely to end up with alcoholism, but it's still a choice. And, and iniquity that Jesus took for all of us, we all have iniquities, is a bent. Some of us may be more easily tempted to lose our cool. That doesn't mean we get a free get-out-of-jail card to go murder somebody. If we are more easily tempted to use alcohol, we don't get a free trip to, to just go become an alcoholic. And if somebody has, compared to others, perhaps it is more tempting to them to, to make a decision involving homosexuality, the Bible promises us that there is no temptation beyond what they can bear and that God always provides a way out. So the answer would be no. No one is born forced into any particular sin. Thank you. All right, Pastor Murrow, the next question goes to you, and the question is, why does it matter if Christians go to church? Can't you just be a Christian at home? That's a good question. 
Yeah, we, you can be a Christian at home. We hope you are a really good one. <laughs> but uh, you're going to miss out, and we're going to miss out if that's what you do. Because the Bible makes it pretty clear that don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together, especially towards the days that we're in. You know, and in Ephesians 4, it says, you know, the whole body fits together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know, we all need fellowship. We all have something to contribute. And if you're not involved in the body, in the fellowship, you're missing out, and the rest of the body is missing out. Um, and really, it's in fellowship, it's in relationship, that really is where we live out our Christianity and we grow and our love is tested, and we get an opportunity in relationships to do what God tells us to do. I mean, like Pastor just said the other day, we should be servants. It's hard to be a servant all alone at home. You know, it's hard to live out all the things that God tells us, one another, one another, one another, one another. Um, there's a lot of one another's and it's pretty hard to do that at home, all alone. So, yeah, you can be a good Christian at home. I hope you are. But uh, I hope you stay in fellowship because that's where we're accountable. That's where we're an example. So, amen. All right. I'm going to stay with you for this next one. The question is, should we be friends with Islamic people? Aren't they against Christians? Wow. You're trying to put me on the spot, aren't you? Yep. No. <laughs> no, I think we should be friends with them. I mean, God loves everybody. I mean, we all know God loves the whole world. And uh, thank God that he loved most of us. So as far as us being friends with them, yeah, I believe that we can win them with our love, with our example with kindness and um, you know there's so many examples of even Christ reaching out to the most unlikely people that was like taboo um, at the time but he did not have any boundaries or any kind of behavior or any kind of belief I mean stop him from loving and reaching out um, as far as aren't they against Christians? Yeah, maybe some of them are. Just because they're Islamic, not necessarily. A lot of them don't even completely understand what they do believe by saying they're that. Um, yes, we all know there are some radicals that probably do hate us. Um, actually, the world hates us in a lot of ways. So I would say be friends, love them, win them. Uh, don't let them influence you. You influence them. Thank you. Just a little side note. How many of you have ever seen Father of Lights? Okay, if you haven't seen it, I figured Carrie saw it. If you haven't seen it, get it. Towards the end of the, the movie, there is a perfect example of this when he prays for the, the guy with the leg. Um, perfect example of this. Get the movie. You won't be disappointed. Watch the whole thing. Um, but after you see that, that one testimony, the healing testimony, that, that whole question just, just completely will rearrange for you. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. 
Next question. Pastor Bernie, this one's yours. When is it okay to tell the doctor to pull the plug? Okay, that's a, that's a complex one. It's a deeply spiritual and personal issue, number one. Um, and it requires a lot of agreement by the family members and those that are um, involved in loving the person that's in this situation. When he refers to pulling the plug, he's referring to if someone is um, unconscious and they're on life support and they're uh, having machines breathe for them and many times um, causing their heart to beat regularly and so forth. So they're on a, a, a series of machines that are uh, causing them to uh, stay viable. Um, I know the first thing that um, someone's going to bring up, if, if they talk to me personally, they'd say, well, what's the matter with you? Don't you believe in raising people from the dead? Absolutely, I believe in raising people from the dead. And there's examples of that in the, in the uh, Bible, obviously. I've been involved in situations where uh, it was pretty much that was the case. Um, however, the bulk of the situations that Jesus ran across and the bulk of the situations that I've run across, um, that has not been um, the case where people are raised from the dead. And uh, when someone is on life support, there's a series of tests that the doctors do, including, you know, taking a pin and pricking the bottom of their foot, and they, they touch something to the eye and see if the autonomic nervous system is still intact. And they determine through a series of tests whether someone is quote-unquote brain dead. There's much misinformation regarding people that are on life support. Many times people think, if, well, if I pull the plug, I'm killing my loved one. Or there's um, an example of, that I remember of a person that was from a different uh, religion. They were not Christian, and they were saying, I can't, I can't deal with this because I don't want this in my, in my karma. You know, uh, I, I can't be responsible for this, and they, they wouldn't do it. However, um, there's a misunderstanding, and the reality is when someone is on life support and they have done the tests and they've done the, the pricking of the foot and the touching of the eye and all those tests which are medical in nature, and they have determined that that person is in fact brain dead, and the only thing that is happening is the bodily functions are continuing, but they're being only sustained by the machines. And the, the, the possibility of viability off the machines is, is zero to none, or slim to none, then at that point in time, um, it's my opinion that that person has already gone to heaven. They've already left their body. I've been in very, uh, a lot of, over the last 30 years, I've been, um, had the experience of being with a lot of people in that situation, including my own father, my own brother, um, many people that I love very dearly, and we've had to make those decisions, and they're never easy. They're always gut-wrenching. But the fact of the matter is, when that person has left their body, they, in effect, have left their body, and their body is being kept alive by machines, and you got to follow peace. You have to follow peace, and you can't be ruled by fear. Philippians 4 just says, let 
that we should let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart as the umpire. And it says that we could be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let, and the peace of God will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So you gotta follow peace, follow agreement with your family members, and realize you are not killing your relative when you pull that plug. If you've agreed together and the doctors have done their job, there is no condemnation. If, especially if that person is a believer, they're already in heaven. They've already left. I mean, I've been in situations where I walk in the room and I've just literally known in my heart the person's already gone. They're not here. I mean, their body's there, but they aren't there. There's nobody home. They've already left their body. They're already in heaven. You aren't killing them. You're merely releasing. Uh, and then the, the body is already gone. I mean, the spirit's already gone. And um, so follow peace. In Bible school, we used to make the statement that if the answer to a thousand questions is follow peace. And by the way, that's the verse that answers whether it's a V6 or a V4. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, he did back it up biblically. I just made that question up too. So, man, that was good. That was good. Um, one thing that I just want to say along with that, um, if any of you are, are going through that particular scenario right now, or if you have recently and you're still carrying around that weight, um, of that decision that you made and you almost feel condemned, um, I'll, I'll pray for you after service or, or Pastor Bernie um, because that, that weight and that burden is not for, for you to carry. And I believe that's for somebody here tonight. So um, we have a couple more left. So I'm going to uh, pick and choose. Let's see. Um, I will go to you, Josh, on this next one, staying in order. Um, the question is, do you have to be more willing to step out in faith or have more blind faith that God will make things happen in your life? All right. So the question is, should we be having blind faith? Blind faith isn't a biblical term. The idea of blind faith is that you're believing something for no other reason than the desire to make it true by believing it. And that's not what the Bible tells us faith is. Romans 10:17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of God. So Bible faith is first informed by the promises of God and his word. Um, it does deal with things that are unseen, but not randomly according, uh, but, but according to God's promises. So Hebrews 11 says it's the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen. Hebrews 11, uh, or John 20 and 29 says, blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. And, and Jesus said this when he was talking to Thomas. And people say, well, doesn't that mean I just have to blindly believe? But remember, Thomas had heard Jesus's promise that he would raise, be raised from the dead. Thomas had heard the other disciples say, you know what, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he said, no, I won't believe it till I see it. So he wasn't, it wasn't that he was failing to just, uh, I want a Ferrari in my garage, I want a Ferrari in my garage, I want a Ferrari in my garage. He had heard the promises of God and still would not dare to believe until he'd seen it. And, and that's what biblical faith is. Biblical faith goes to the promises of God and then says, all right, I know this to be a promise, God's promise, therefore I can, I can grasp it, I can believe on it even before I see it show up. Awesome. I want to make sure we get to this one, so we're going to jump down um, to you, Pastor Merle, at the bottom of this page. This one's um, really important. Um, notice how it's, how it's asked, too. 
So the question is, what is the Holy Spirit? I'd say uh, it's not necessarily what is the Holy Spirit, although that is part of the answer. But I think it's important to recognize that, first of all, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit is a person. And the Bible makes reference often, like when he, the Spirit, has come, it says he will lead and guide you into all truth. And uh, there's so many verses about this, but, you know, Jesus, we know, uh, had the Spirit without measure. That's why he was able to do what he did. And that's why he said, it's better for me to go because I'll send you the Holy Spirit and you'll receive power. He'll be a witness. He'll lead and guide you into all truth. He'll enable you. He'll testify of Jesus. So what the Holy Spirit is is really he is the third person of the Trinity. And uh, to be filled with the Spirit is actually God's plan for all of us. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, that is the way we operate in the Spirit. And uh, I think the verses up there, which I don't want to get into, but um, the, the Holy Spirit is um, he's the comforter. He's the one that leads us into truth. He is vital. And, uh, you know, it's, when it says that, it says he will lead you into all truth. That's incredible. That's his job. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. It's a lot like of the Holy Spirit is a vital part of our relationship with Christ because he's part of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit at work in our lives um, speaks to us, guides us, directs us, walk in the Spirit. I mean, there are so many verses, but the Holy Spirit, um, thank God, he sent the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do one more um, question, and then it's going to go to Pastor Bernie. Um, I wanted to make sure that we got this one, too, because Wednesday nights we try to be uh, more about application, and this one applies to our, our daily lives, really. Um, and it's, it's decisions that we have to make pretty much every day. Um, so, Pastor Bernie, the question is, how should Christians make faith-based decisions about entertainment choices? Okay. Well, a number of the scriptures that we've already referred to apply to your internet to your internet and entertainment choices and that is the first one being does it honor god does it uphold your christian witness um, we've talked about those and uh, using Josh's example of the dog that bites every 10 times um, that's another uh, great example of entertainment choices um, allowing um, Entertainment and allowing yourself to watch immorality and things that you would not do, allowing that to be entertainment for you, I think is a very unwise thing because it plants seeds in your mind um, of activities and things that are not healthy. So if you wouldn't do it, I wouldn't advise you to watch somebody else do it. Okay, that's the bottom line. And uh, if you can just use that simple um, axiom, um, if you look in the Bible and say, that's wrong, I wouldn't call entertainment watching someone that is 
someone do something that's clearly wrong in Scripture, i.e. committing adultery or anything like that along those nature. And uh, when it comes to entertainment choices for your family, for your children, there's a number of websites that are out there that will help you make those choices, um, including Plugged In Online. And then there's another one that Josh told me about today, which is... Kidsinmind.com. 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 And these are rating um, websites that will help you um, decide whether something is too far for your family. And because uh, anymore, the PG-13 movies of today were R 20 years ago, just so you know. So just because it says PG-13 does not mean you should watch it. It just means you better review it and make sure it's not full of junk. So again, um, watching things that you wouldn't do yourself is the, is the thing where I just want you to say, oh, can, can, I, can I clarify on that? I think, you know, I read the Bible. The Bible tells me things that I wouldn't do. I watch the Passion of the Christ. I wouldn't crucify anyone. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is when you watch a movie that glorifies the idea of leave your spouse and go live with that other person and, and yeah, that'd be great. See, that's a movie that's it's glorifying the aspect of So we're not saying you can't watch a movie that has anybody committing any sin. We'd have to throw the Bible out. It's got stories of people committing sin. But what we don't want is to, to fill our entertainment with, with that idea of, yeah, I would love to do that. And, I, you know, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if, no, if, if it's glorifying and, and creating a temptation in us for sin, then it's, it's not healthy. Awesome. And I'm, I'm going to put, can I put you on the spot, Pastor Merle? Um, Pastor Merle does pastoral care here, so he meets with a lot of people and a lot of marriages and a lot of everything. So he's constantly um, counseling people and meeting with them. Um, what would be, in, in your opinion, in your experience, what's like one of the number one things that you constantly have people asking you a question about or um, are constantly wanting an answer for? Can you think of anything off the top of your head that's, that's pretty common? Um, I'll answer that a little different. Um, I believe that the predominant problem that people deal with is probably unforgiveness or fear. Those two things permeate so many other things that the underlying reason and cause is unforgiveness and fear. And the other thing, which kind of goes along with it, I think we all know in every relationship, uh, the enemy's um, plan is to divide and conquer. And that's why we talk about so much about unity, love one another, be in agreement, the power of agreement, the power of unity, um, is first of all, we agree with God, and then we agree with each other. And we do that often through forgiveness. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for your questions. And um, actually, um, yeah, go ahead. You can give it up for them. Um, and on that uh, note of unity, um, we're actually going to join each other um, in unity. If everyone would just stand, we're going to end this time with worship.
It's always good to end the night with worship. So I'm just going to pray as, as Ken gets prepared here and we'll just kind of prepare our hearts. So Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that your word brings truth, that your word is a light and a path to our lives. We thank you that we can come to you when we have questions. We thank you that you've blessed us with your knowledge and your understanding. So Father, we thank you. We praise you. We just ask that you would continue to lead us and guide us and give us the wisdom that we need to face all of our situations and all of our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen.